0: Like a most powerful storm, Jesus' teaching, life, death, resurrection, and rule impact everything in our world. From how we view children, the sick, political leaders, and ourselves, Jesus left an impact. The Gospel of Matthew is where we are going to be this morning and I would encourage you to grab the Bible from the chair in front of you or open your own or pull it up on your device as we follow along this morning. In the series we have attempted to reflect on how Jesus impacted the world where he dwelled, on how his followers lived through history, and on how we ought to live. And this uh, was especially true when it came to politics. And this morning, we are challenged to think not of—we are uh, excuse me—we are encouraged to think not of uh, politicians who we can stand behind, or platforms that we can stand on, but a person that we can stand with. So let's pray before we read together. Lord God, as we open your word, we desire to hear you. And we know that this morning's texts raise some sensitive things for us. And so we pray for your spirit to be present in the words of my mouth and in the meditation of our hearts so that you would be pleased and the church would be built for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Matthew chapter 21, we'll start at verse 1. This is our Palm Sunday text, at least typically. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "'Go to the village ahead of you, "'and at once you will find a donkey.'" "'tied there with her colt by her. "'Untie them and bring them to me. "'If anyone says anything to you, "'say that the Lord needs them, "'and he will send them right away. "'This took place to fulfill "'what was spoken through the prophet. "'Say to the daughter of Zion, "'See, your king comes to you. "'Gentle, riding on a donkey, "'on a colt, full of a donkey. "'The disciples went and did "'as Jesus had instructed them. "'They brought the donkey And the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut palm branches, excuse me, branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. And then our second text is uh, just a few verses later. But if you have your Bible open, what happens after this proclamation is that Jesus goes into the temple courts, turns over the money changers, And then heads out to sleep in a village just outside Jerusalem. And then the next day comes back into Jerusalem and begins to interact with the crowds and the religious leaders. And we pick up that conversation on the next day with those religious leaders. And we'll read uh, starting at verse 15 of chapter 22. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, So give back. To Caesar, what is Caesar's, and to God, what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. In many ways, the Palm Sunday text is the closest thing we get to Jesus making a political statement. Most of us who've grown up in the church who have heard the Palm Sunday story are well aware of all of the political things that come with Jesus' actions. For Jesus to climb on the back of a kind of horse was reminiscent of a general or a king who had gone away, fought battles, won victory, and was now coming home at the head of a parade. And for the crowds to gather and take off their clothes and lay them on the path and to cut branches and wave them was a reminder of the Jewish history where Jerusalem and Israel was last at its peak. And Jesus does not seem to diminish this. Normally in the Gospels, we'll find Jesus heals someone and then he'll say, you know, keep it to yourself, or don't come with me, don't add on to my merry band of brothers, stay where you are and proclaim what God has done for you. Often he tries to hide his identity. He tries to shy away from the limelight. Things go crazy in Galilee, the disciples come and say, let's go back to the town where we were and enjoy the crowds, and Jesus says, "Eh, let's go somewhere else. When things get too crazy on one side of the Sea of Galilee, they cross over to the other. Things get a little hot in Jerusalem, they head out to Bethany. Jesus, it seems, unlike this passage, is normally not too keen of the spotlight. But something has shifted here. Something has changed here. And as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he does not keep the crowds from declaring what is true. He is the Messiah, the one they have longed for, the one they are now praising, the one they are hoping will bring peace. But that's not the only political stuff in the air. It's the Passover festival, and as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, he is riding in with crowds who are causing the city limits of Jerusalem to burst. Historians who look at that time of uh, history in the Jewish world said that Jerusalem would double in size. It's unclear exactly how big Jerusalem was in the first century, but nevertheless, the population would explode. It would at least double in size of Jewish people. And these are people who are coming from Africa, bringing their customs with them. They are coming from Galilee, where Rome's presence is clearly less than welcome. There's Jews coming from all over the Roman Empire. And the reality, of course, is, as you and I know, that if you're going to go to a musical concert, you're going to be a fan Right last night, no one who does not like casting crowns goes to the concert. You just don't go. But if you love casting crowns and you love their music, you go. And that's what's happening here. All of these crowds are coming into Jerusalem because they are thrilled and excited about the Passover. And the city explodes. And so there is all of these extra people in the streets. And there's also extra Roman presence. Because historians tell us that not only did the city population rise, but the Roman guards and soldiers' presence in the city at least doubled. And so there are now soldiers everywhere. And so instead of, you know, your normal trip to Meyer when things are down a little bit, imagine that this is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, The stores are packed and the shelves are empty because everyone, like you, have forgotten to get the necessities. And not only that, imagine now that there are military security guards stationed not just on the outside of the store, making sure that people are coming in in a respectful way, but they're actually stationed in the store to make sure that no one who's getting milk with anybody else Are secretly passing rumors back and forth about what we should be doing. Jerusalem around the Passover was like the Monday before an election. All of the signs are up, it's all anyone is talking about, there is heightened intensity. And Jesus has added to that. In some ways, it's like he's struck the match when he rode into the city and received the messianic praise. Hosanna. That's the context of Matthew 22. When Jesus enters into the temple courts and begins to dialogue with these religious leaders, because these religious leaders are in power because they like the Romans and the Romans give them freedom. In fact, we find later in the Gospel of Matthew, it's uh, 26 verse 5 if you want to look at it now. The chief priests and the teachers of the law talk about killing Jesus, but they say, let's wait, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. So the Jewish leaders themselves are feeling this intensity and this sizzle in the air. And they're hoping to undermine Jesus with a simple question. Who did you vote for? who'd you vote for? Most of us like that question, right? We're in the back of the fellowship hall, church is over, we've got the coffee, we've got the cookie, and someone says, so, who'd you vote for? I think I've got to go check on my kids. There's something about the political sizzle that feels taboo. We shouldn't talk about it. It's too heightened. Too much is at stake. And it's interesting that when the religious leaders try to trap Jesus, this is the first trap. We learn that in verse 15, right? The Pharisees go out and they laid plans to trap him. It's the first trap they lay. There are others... They try to ask him about marriage. They try to ask him about the greatest commandment. They try to ask him about an Old Testament exegetical question. They try to ask him about all these different things, but the place they start is politics. Just a show of hands. And I do mean this, show of hands. How many of you have been part of a conversation that quickly went south because of politics? Now look around. Just about everyone's hand is up. And even this morning when I said to somebody that we're gonna be talking about politics, they (sighs) But it's something that we have to address because Jesus addressed it. And the way he addressed it was in a way that it was very different than what anybody expected. So let's take a look. The Pharisees send Herodians. Now Herodians are those people who love Herod. They're Jews who love the Romans. Now Pharisees don't like the Romans. Pharisees are actually nationalists, many of them zealots. They hate the Romans. And if we're coming into Jerusalem, Jesus is looking around in the temple courts and there are guards everywhere. And so do you pay the tax? If Jesus says no, the Herodians snap their fingers, Jesus is arrested, and it's all over. If Jesus says yes, pay the tax, the Pharisees snap their fingers and the crowd presses in and drives him off the cliff. Jesus knows this, and he asks a simple question. He asks them when they bring him a coin, whose image is this? Now we actually have some of these coins. If you want to put them up on the screen, you can see what they look like. These are first century Jewish or Roman coins. And they have have faces on them. We're not exactly sure which face Jesus held up. But this most likely was the face of Tiberius, the emperor. And on the back of the coin, the inscription read, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Let me read that again. Face on the front, knowing God we trust, No little D to tell us it was minted in Denver. No things around the edges, just a face. And then on the back, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Which meant that this coin was declaring itself to be the image of the Son of God. Notice where they are. Where are the Pharisees? Where are the Herodians? Where is Jesus? In the temple courts. And yet the Pharisees have brought in an image. Second commandment, do not make for yourself a graven image. Jesus has asked them, flip through your pockets. Notice he doesn't produce the coin, they do. And he holds up the image of someone claiming to be divine. But he doesn't actually say that. We have to infer that. Whose image is this? It's Caesar's. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God. And notice their response when they heard this. They're not angry. They're amazed. Right? It's as if we've asked the question, who did you vote for? And instead of giving it, you know, setting the trap and then having it sprung, the person's response so marveled us, so moved us back that we didn't know how to respond. The trap failed. So what does it mean to give God to whom everything belongs, what is God's, and to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, I don't think it's like what was found in the 2019 survey. David French tells us, quote, Republicans and Democrats would be more upset if their child married a person of the opposing political party than if they married a person of a different religious faith. Hear that. The Church of Jesus Christ in the United States would rather have their children marry Buddhist Republicans than Christian Democrats, or atheist Democrats than a Christian Republican. Just a stat whose image is on the coin? we have to wonder how Jesus would have responded to that news. And why for us within the church it's so difficult when someone asks us the question, who'd you vote for? We're not safe or don't feel safe or comfortable to even answer that question. After all, Jesus walked through Palestinian streets and never once told the Jewish people he talked to Overthrow the Romans. He never told his disciples, Don't pay the tax. In fact, he made them find tax when it was tardy in the mouth of a fish. Jesus never once walked through the streets of Jerusalem saying, The guards are wrong. He only ever pointed to the religious leaders who were messing up. That were today, he would never say the Democrats or the Republicans have messed up. He would point to the pastors and the elders of the church. which it's a little close to home, at least for me. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. When Jesus is standing before Pilate, he's bloodied and bruised. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's got a purple robe on his back. And yet never once does he say to Pilate, you should not be here. In fact, he says to Pilate, you are here because my father gave you authority and you're in fact going to sign the sentence to send me to the cross. Even in those moments, it's fascinating, Jesus keeps honor for the man who will crucify him. It's hard to imagine that we would prefer our children to marry the same political party more than we would prefer that they marry someone with our faith. When Jesus invited the Pharisees to hold up the coin, what he was saying to them is they were more interested in power, more interested in wealth, more interested in having an inside step, having a foot in the door, more interested in all of that than helping the people they were called to serve and love and bring into the presence of God. And it's worth asking whether we also fall into that trap, whether we are more interested in authority, more interested in wealth, more interested in power, more interested in getting our foot in the door than serving those we have been called to love. The book club of this church a couple of months ago finished Jesus and John Wayne. The pastor's book club I'm in actually just finished it as well. And it's a critique of Christian evangelical circles and their relationship with power. I'm not going to talk about whether I like the book or love the book or hated the book or agreed with the book. But it is taking a step back and asking the question again, have we as the church of Jesus Christ wanted power and authority and a foot in the door more than serving and loving our neighbor as Christ came to serve us. There's nothing wrong with being in politics. In fact, Jesus calls us to do that. He never says to Zacchaeus, stop being a tax collector. He never says to Matthew, stop being a tax collector. For all we know, maybe Matthew went back after following after Jesus to become a tax collector. Paul appealed to Rome because he wanted to talk to the leader of the day. Jesus never says, don't be involved. But he does encourage us to wonder about where our heart lies in the involvement. Jesus gives us not a politician to stand behind, not a platform to stand on, but a person to stand with. And Jesus invites us to have the image of his throne room reign on our hearts. Let's pray. God, we struggle sometimes to uh, truly allow you to rule and reign. Often we are uh, admittedly more interested in our party winning or in an argument about politics being right instead of being like you. God, we need your forgiveness and your grace when we have um, allowed ourselves to be taken along. And we are reminded by the New Testament writers Paul and Peter to submit to those in governing authorities as those that you have put there. Former President Trump was God-ordained leader. Current President Biden, God-ordained leader. not thereby surprised, but by your choice. Help us to honor and respect those that you have put in authority over us. Help us also to be good citizens of two kingdoms, to do the kinds of things that citizens do to love the places where we are. To devote ourselves to their welfare and their development and growth to seek the good of the city, to pray for it but also to recognize that this is not our true and ultimate home for we are strangers and aliens Lord help us to be the very best citizens of two kingdoms that we can be for your sake, and for the good of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.